Well, today we embark on a 40-day journey together. 40 days of studying what does it really mean to love. It might be a fair question to ask, well, why, why should we, why is this important for us to do? Where does this come from, you know? Another just good gimmick for the church to come up with to keep us busy for six weeks or whatever. You know, I'm... Let me point you back to a story from the scriptures. Today, Jesus is walking along, you know, and he has a reputation at this point in time. When he moved through most communities, he drew a little bit of a crowd. He had developed a certain level of respect. People looked to him as somebody who had wisdom, who had insight on how to live life. It's a great guy to ask questions of, that questions that really mattered. Now the crowd stepped a guy whose life, by all accounts, was doing pretty well. Scripture refers to him as a rich young ruler. The guy who's Things were, were clicking on all cylinders for him. And he steps out and, and he asks Jesus a question. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, probably if he lived in our neighborhoods, he probably wouldn't ask the question that way. You know, I mean, that's probably not the kind of questions that we have. I mean, I've been pastor for 20-something years, you know, and and, um, and I've never had anybody walk into my office and say, what do I do? To, what do I have to do in, to inherit eternal life? I've had people ask questions like, how can I know God? How can I make sure I'm going to heaven? Those kinds of questions, but never phrased quite that way. But here's this guy who steps out, and it probably if he had been one of us or some of the people that we know, he might have phrased the question is, you know, how can I know that I'm really doing life right? I mean, I only get to do life once. How can I make sure I'm really doing life right? You know, I got, all the stuff seems to be going right, but how can I really be sure life is going right? How, how, how can I be sure that, that I'm doing life the right way? And Jesus looked back at him, and he said, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you got to love your neighbor as yourself. So here's this guy who steps out of the crowd, effective businessman, seems to be healthy, got his whole life ahead of him. He's asking the question, how do I live life where it's truly successful? And Jesus says, love. Just go love. Love, your na- love, you- love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that as Paul is working through some issues about spiritual gifts and faith and hope and how God works through people with the spiritual gifts and all that kind of stuff. He says, said now, you know, he says there's three things that are going to really last. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. So then he says, pursue love. That could also be translated as make your highest goal in life to love. And in case the Corinthians didn't get it down, when he gets to the end of the book and he's given just some kind of closing one-liners for advice to them, he says, in everything you do, love. Let everything that happens, everything that you're a part of, let everything that you do be done in love. So I don't know about you, but that seems to indicate to me that this issue of love is pretty important, <laughs> right? You know, and if you and I are smart enough to realize that, that we only get to go through life once. I mean, I'm, I'm 52 now. I don't know how I got that old, you know, but I'm 52 now. I can't go back and relive my, relive my 20s or my 30s or my 40s. They're gone. You only get to do this once, right? And if we're, we're going to, if we only get one shot at life and we really want to do it the right way, we got to answer this question and we've got to do it the way that God has instructed us to, which is to make love our highest goal, to pursue love and to let everything that we do, let every action that comes from us be done in love. Now, that's not easy. You know, it's easy to love my wife because Christina is a lovable person. It's not so easy to love the person that's rammed into the back of you. And now not only is your car destroyed, but your kid in the back seat is hurt. Sometimes, and and, it, and the reason why is because they were just drinking a little too much. A little harder to love them, isn't it? It doesn't say in everything except for the jerk who hit you when they were intoxicated, be done in love. It doesn't say that. I mean, this is this is a big challenge. And and here's, here's what you and I need to understand. We need to figure out what it is to really love. Now, I told the first service that when I was in college, 
I was an economics major. And it's a part of that you've got to take some math classes. So I took calculus and advanced calculus. And, and I had this uh, professor, uh, Dr. Lingle, who, was my, who taught me both of those math classes. And he tried to talk me into being a math major. So I, I, I took this class called Advanced Linear Algebra. And that was the end of my math career. I mean, you know, they had problems that, like, you know, you had equations that were 12 variables, you know. They were literally, they had, like, that long across the whole paper. But that wasn't the whole problem. There'd be five or six rows of that, you know. And I'm looking at it saying, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, but there's still enough in me that, that, you know, I try to figure out how all of this works. So most of us would sit here today and say, well, I thought faith was all that really mattered when it came to eternity. All you got to do is believe in God, right? All you got to do is believe in Jesus and you're going to heaven. So how is it that this love thing fits in here? And and then, you know, you hear all the stuff about having to kind of really live for Jesus, kind of being obedient. How does all that stuff fit together? You know, and so this is the way I see the equation, that faith in God equals loving God. First John tells us that the one who knows God loves God. How do you know God? By faith. So if you have faith in God, you know God. And if you know God, that means you love God. So to have faith in God is to love God. Then what did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll obey my command. So when you, you know, you got the whole A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, when you kind of just wave some wands over all of that, you can come up with an equation that says that faith in God means that we love God, which means we obey God. And when you get that, you've got faith in God leads to loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we obey him as he asks us to love our neighbors as ourselves. But, so this issue of love is pretty darn important. Wouldn't you agree? All of you don't agree, you can get up and go now. We're, we're done. Because we're going to be talking about this for a few weeks now. Because, you know, if this is the most important thing for us, it's the thing we're supposed to pursue, and we better understand what this is really all about. We ought to get it right. And, and part of what, what I want us to appreciate today is that, by and large, we don't really have our culture, our world setting, does not give us a very good message about what love is. We, we have trivialized love. We've l- reduced love to be an affection or some kind of an emotion or, or just you know some kind of a stirring within us or an attraction towards somebody. Somehow or another, we've come to a time when we... We equate infatuation with being in love with somebody. That somehow being attracted to them means that we love them. That stuff's just not there. When you, when you get around to really looking at the issue of love, it's so much more than that. I mean, just think about the way we throw the word around. You know, we love warm days, especially when it's winter, right? A couple of people said to me after leaving the first service, so how warm is it going to be in Rwanda? So we'll be in like in the early 80s, low 80s during the day. And they're like, oh, I love that, you know, kind of idea. You know, they might not like the dirt roads and the lack of hot water and all that other kind of stuff that goes with it, but it's, it's certainly going to be warmer than here, you know. But we love warm days. I love sinking a long putt, you know, because usually I can't get it close enough. And, you know, it's a long putt. You, you love, we, we love mint chocolate chip ice cream. Very close black raspberry, very close to it. You know, and then we talk about loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And, and those things are not even on the, in the same zip code. You know, they're not on the same continent. So, so what is it when God asks us to love? When he says the greatest of these things, of faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. What is he really talking about? What, what is that love? What's it like? And here's, here's where I want to just spend our time. I, I want to give you three points, and then I'm going to give you a challenge at the end. And... I want you to turn, if you will, in your Bibles, and we're going to move through several different passages, so kind of loosen up your fingers and be ready to kind of follow along. And if you're using one of our pew Bibles, I'm going to give you the page numbers as we go so you can stay right with us. But I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6 with me today to start. And we want to start with asking the question, what is this love that we're talking about? If God says it's the most important thing that we do, that is literally the other side of the coin 
of having faith in God is to love God and to love others. What, what is this love? I want us to start, first of all, by, by seeing where it comes from, okay? Now, you'll quickly recognize, if you have your own Bibles, that this is, there's a lot of red letters in here because that means Jesus is talking. It's not just all the black like we have in our pew Bibles. And this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, this kind of crystallized teaching of Jesus. And, and he's moved through the Beatitudes, and now he comes to this passage where he's going to talk about loving your enemies. Now I want to point, I want to start out in the middle and kind of make some equations for you, for us as we kind of move, move through this text. Start with verse 32. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Now who are the sinners there? Those are the people who don't know God, right? I mean, we could, you could use lots of different definitions, but the sinners categorically as Jesus is presenting them, these are the people who don't know God. These are the people who don't want to know God. He said, they have a capacity to love people who love them. He falls up. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. He says, but I'm telling you, I'm giving you a different kind of love. He says, love your enemies. Do what is good and lend. Expect nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be the sons. You will be recognized as the children of God, the Most High, for He is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. So you go back then to the beginning and He says in verse 27, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, do not hold back your shirt. You know, so... Here's what Jesus is saying. Most of what the world sees as love isn't really what the kind of love that God's talking about. Yeah, sure, you know, even people who don't know God, who have no interest in God, who don't care about God, who don't reflect the character of God, all that stuff, they, they love those who love them. They'll care for people who are going to care for them. So, but that's not the kind of love I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of love that allows you to love your enemies. And here's the underlying point. The kind of love that God's talking about is a God thing. It's not a man thing. It's a God thing. It is our response to God's love in our lives. Put it this way in, just want to work through some points here. Loving God, loving in God's way is something those without God cannot do. That's what we just learned from Luke chapter 6. Loving the way God wants us to love is a product of our experience of God's love. John put the, God, the, God, the first epistle of John puts it this way. We love because God first loved us. Our ability to love in the way that God wants us to, to love our, na- to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to bless those who curse us, to, 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 when somebody shows up in our life and says, I'm gonna, you have to do this, we say, well, I'll do that and some more. You want this from me? I'll give you more. I mean, when we, for us to get to that kind of place, it's, it is only because we have experienced God's love in our life. The kind of love that we're talking about and going to be learning about for these next six weeks is a God thing, not a man thing. It's a God thing. It's our response to God's love in our lives. And the cool thing is that God wants to just drench us in his love. You know, let, let me get you over to 1 John because we're going to be there a little bit. So here, here and there in, in a few verses as we pop back and forth through a couple. Not the way we, we generally like to present God's word here. We like to kind of sit in a particular passage, but this is just one of those topics that takes us lots of places. And, you know, we've seen this verse now in 1 John four nineteen, where it says, we love, this is on page 1036 in your text. It says, we love because he first loved us. Our ability to be able to love our neighbors as ourselves, our ability to love our enemies 
as ourselves, to pray for those who pray. It comes as a direct result of the fact that God has first loved us. And this is what verse 1 of chapter 3 says, just one page back. First John chapter 3, it says, Look at how great a love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children. He's, some of your translations use the word lavished. It says, look at, the, at the, la, the love that God has lavished on us, that he's drenched us in. So here's God saying, hey, listen, this is the way for life to really work. The life that is right, not only now, but for all eternity, is to be a life of love. And that only happens when you respond to my love. And I'm ready to pour that over you in buckets. Buckets and buckets and buckets. God's ready to pour it. Now, what I would say to you, one of the great, great, great um, corollaries that come from this, one of the great proverbs, if you will, is that you and I can't give what we don't have. So we have struggle to love other people, especially the difficult people in our lives, because we really don't have that love of God in our own lives. You know, one of my boys would call me up today and say, Dad, I need a million dollars. And I'd just say, yeah, well, on what planet are you? Because I don't have a million dollars to give to them. I probably wouldn't give it to them if I had it anyways. But, you know, um, but, but you can't give what you don't have. And God says, I'm ready to give you. I'm ready to give you. And, and for most of us, our struggle with God is not that we don't love God enough. Most of us is that most of us struggles because we've never really experienced God's love completely. The reason we struggle with having enough love for God and enough love for other people is that we've really struggled with experiencing and accepting God's love completely in our own life. God's ready to love that lavish it, and we're just getting it little cupfuls at a time. See, when we talk about this kind of love, it's a, it's a God thing, and it's the result of God's experience for us. And, and I want to remind us that the world can't teach us anything about loving this way. The world can teach us maybe how to be nice people, to be politically correct people, to be you know kind and those kinds of things, but the world can't teach us how to love like this. Only God can. Only God can. And the second thing I want you to understand, when the Bible talks about love, it's not talking about a feeling talking about a choice talking about a choice that you and i have to make it's a choice to accept god's love and then it's a choice to experience and give away god's love it's a choice it's not a feeling you know i, I attempted in the first service to sing some of the, the the lyrics of the the song by the righteous brothers you know you've lost that loving feeling remember when you know when i was in high school that was one of the big songs you know you could ride along the high, high, highway you roll the windows down the car you could crank the radio up and you know, you've lost that love no, anyway so you know and and you just got to and we just we just bought into this whole idea that love somehow or another is an emotion. It's something you've got to feel. Biblically, that's not, that's not true. Love is a choice. Moses had served the people of God for 40 years. God had used him as the instrument that had brought them out of slavery, where they were in bondage. Brought them out to the mountain where they get to enter into a relationship with God. He had wandered with them for decades in the wilderness, being their leader as God began to continue to shape them into a people that he could really use to be a blessing to the nation. And he got down to the very end and he said, you, you guys have a choice today. You've got to choose whom you're going to serve, whether it be God or something else. And, and when we've done our math, that faith in God equals loving God, which equals obeying God. When he says, man, you, you, you gotta, you have to make a choice today to serve God. He said, you gotta choose today if you're gonna love God, or if you're gonna love somebody else. It's a choice that we have to make. And, and we somehow or another have convinced ourselves that, that love, if you will, is a, is a feeling. It's an emotion. It, you know, and, and it's not, it's a choice. You know, 28 and a half years ago, Christina and I stood over at the Mary Martha Chapel in Sudbury. And we got married. And I made a commitment to love her until death do us part. I didn't promise in there because it was impossible to make the promise that I'll always feel exactly about you the way I do right now. 
I didn't, you know, because you can't, right? I mean, you always have moments that sometimes are really up, and we've had lots and lots of ups. And sometimes there's a few downs, you know? And sometimes it's over stupid stuff, just over stupid stuff. The other day, you know, I got home or whatever, and she's suggesting I should go to the gym and work out, and I'm tired. And so then I get up and I go to her computer and start to use it, and she says, have you washed your hands? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, because... And I made a choice to love my wife. I didn't feel it so much at the moment. I already had a mother, you know. And, and, but you know, we, love is a choice, you know. We don't have many of those moments. She's a, you know, but I have more of those moments. But, you know, you can't make a commitment to feel a certain way forever. But you can make a commitment that you're always going to choose to love. I think this is why the Christian life is so demanding. You know, many of you guys, I know you're sitting here today, and, and you've, we've been talking about this 40 days of love that's coming up, and that kind of thing, and you're thinking, oh, no, here we go. You know, because it, 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 love just seems to be one of the, the feminine things that the church talks about, right? It, you know, and, and, and i got to tell you, I don't know if there's anything more manly than choosing to love all the time, all the time. You know, we, talk, we celebrate the Marines because they say, simplify, always faithful. I, I don't know anything that's more challenging than try to be always faithful, always, always faithful to loving the way that God's challenged us. This, this, this is tough stuff. It's important stuff. It's eternal stuff. You know, it, it's. I'll, I'll save that illustration for this next point. Because love is a choice and not an emotion. And it's a response and, and, and as a result of God's love within us. What that means is that love is, is something that, that comes out in action. It's an active lifestyle. Love is something that we do. It's a habit that we have. It, it, it prevails. It becomes a part of our character that, we, we, that we, can't, we can't push away any more than we can push away the fact that we're male or female. It just becomes a part of who we are. Love becomes an active lifestyle. You know, in First uh, John chapter 4, verse 8, says the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. You know, and then it, and the flip side of that is that it, if we know God, then we will love. It's, it's an action verb. You know, some of you are, are familiar with the, the, the letters that were written to the churches in the book of Revelation. You know, that those guys, rep, those seven churches that are represented there, that which were literal churches in the day of the Apostle John, towards the end of the first century, about 50, 60 years after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. You know, he wrote to these churches, and they became representative of some of the spiritual dynamics that the churches were going to face throughout all the centuries. And the very first one he wrote to, he said to him, he says, you guys are doing a lot of great stuff. He said, but I got this against you. He says, you've forgotten your first love. He says, you've forgotten your first love. And he said, this is what I want you to do. So I want you to repent. That means you need to make a commitment to change. That's the choice part. And then I want you to just go to a mountaintop and get the feeling back. No, that's not what it says. It says, I want you to go back and do the works that you did at the beginning. I, as you make the choice to love again, I want you to go back and do the things that you did before. Love at that point doesn't have anything to do with emotion. It has to do with action. It's a part of our lifestyle. Love is something that we do. You know, um, two examples that, that, that just strike me out of my journey of, of, of you looking at, at, at this idea of, of love just being a choice. It becomes a lifestyle that you just stick with. One of them's real fresh. The other one's a little older. My parents had a neighbor up in, in New Hampshire where they lived in Deerfield. Uh, the Newcombs lived next door. They had lived next door for eight to ten years or so. And great couple moved there just as they got ready to retire. Uh, Mr. Newcomb um, developed Alzheimer's. And he lived for about 15 years after that period of time. She moved out of the house with him into assisted living. And then when he got to such a point where that wouldn't even work and he had, she had to go, he had to go into a nursing home and be in specialized care, she moved back to the house. But every single day she would go. 
She never went on a trip. She never even went to visit any of her. She only had one son. They came to visit her. She never went to. Her life was wrapped up. He, he wasn't there. Anymore. He didn't know her. He didn't know her name. He didn't know his son. But she had made a commitment to him. And it become a lifestyle. You know, and I got a guy that I just worked with in a, in a ministry in Boston. Same, same idea. You know, he, he works in the support services or accounting side. And, and he's not even at retirement age yet. And his wife's already struggling with Alzheimer's. And, and, and his whole life is built around caring for her caring for her and, and and she barely knows who he is anymore and yet his whole life it because that's the commitment that's what love is love is a habit it's a lifestyle it's something you do and it doesn't change it sticks there that's where this whole debate about faith and works and love and all comes you know you, you you need to do the works that you first did when you were in love with god because love is becomes an active lifestyle now this is challenging stuff greed I, it is for me <laughs> you know, and I'm going to be following along these messages and doing the study while I'm in Rwanda and come back and be a part of this. But this is challenging stuff. I mean, I, there, there are times I can get up for this, but there are lots of moments where it's just hard to make that choice and, and, to, and to love that way and to, and to have the habits. But I want you to understand that the scripture teaches that you and I can get better. at We can get better at this. We can become better lovers. Okay. And, and I mean that in as full a sense as I possibly can. We can become better lovers. Just, just turn with me back a few pages to First Timothy. I'll give you a, a page number in just a minute. I want you to see this in, in black and white. Page 1009. First of all, you need to appreciate some of the relationship between Paul and Timothy. They were not biologically related in any way. Timothy had become Paul's spiritual son. Paul's starting to realize that he may never see Timothy again. And so he, he, he writes to him two different letters, just pouring out his heart to somebody that he cared about and, and trying to pour the best wisdom he could into his life. And now pick up with verse 12 of chapter 4. It says, no one should despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, okay? And in faith and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. That's his job, Okay. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. That's his sense of calling and his setting apart to ministry. It's been given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Then he says, practice these things. Well, what are these things? That's the question we have to ask. And you pick that up from verse verse 16. It says, be conscientious about yourself or how you live and about your teaching. Those point back to verse 13 and 12. The teaching part has to do with what he does. Go ahead and practice that. Get better at it. The other part is the living part. That has to do with the speech. has to do with the conduct. It has to do with the love. Now he's saying, you know what? And then as you practice these things, what happens here? He says, so that your progress may be evident to all. Now here's Paul writing to his spiritual son. And he says, listen, work at this. Practice. Have you guys ever been on the team where coaches said practice makes perfect? You know, practice this, practice this. And as you practice loving, says your progress will be evident to all. That means you're going to get better at it. You're going to get better at it. Some of us, we, we don't understand. We can get better at this. As hard as it is, you and I can get better at experiencing God's love in our lives. And as God has first loved us, we can turn around and love others. And we can make the choice to do so and develop the lifestyle. Now, I'll tell you, i got a fear as we start this series. You know, I mean, the only passion I've ever had for Hope Chapel is that we would be known as a church that really loves people. I don't want to be, you know, it hasn't been our passion to be known as the ones who have the, the best vacation Bible school or has the biggest yard sales or does the most creative outreach events or anything. That's, that's never been our passion. Our passion has always been we want to be the people 
We want to be known as a church that really loves God and loves people. Now, and so this is right on message, right on target for us. It's, it's core mission stuff for us as a church. And that's because that's still my desire, that we would be known as a church that really loves people because we love God. My fear is that we can listen to the sermons, we can watch the DVDs with our life groups, we can read the book on a daily basis, you know, the, all the devotions. We'll do all the stuff and we'll become tremendously informed, but we won't be transformed. Because the only way you get transformed is by doing something with what you're learning. You take the experience and you translate it into action. You make the choice to make it an active lifestyle. That's why as a part of our journey, we are going to ask you, you know, it, it, as best you can, just circle these next six weeks and be in the services. If you have to miss a Sunday for some reason, you're traveling or whatever, listen to it online on our website or sign up on a connection card and say, make sure I get it, you know, that, hey, I want every CD because I'm not going to, I'm going to miss this one or whatever. So you, you can do that. Listen to every message. Be faithful as you can to attend in your life group. And if you can't get there, make sure you borrow the DVD from, from what your life group leader and catch up. But work through the material because there's tremendous teaching there. There's, there's a book that's available to you at the life group station that's out in the lobby where you can still sign up for a life group, but there's a book that you can do some daily reading. Not long stuff, six, eight minutes a day. Quick stuff. But we can do all that stuff, but all through that study, there's going to be a challenge to say, go do this with that. Go do this with that. Do something with it. Translate information into action because that's what produces transformation. That's my desire. So we'll take the steps not just to be informed, but to be transformed. Now, let me, let me stop here and say this. And this is going to be my, my final point. All of this that we're talking about, all of this is, is just totally impossible for you if you've never experienced God's love in your life. Now, I don't care what language it works for you, whether you about being saved or born again or saying the sinner's prayer or accepting Jesus, whatever term that, that might you might heard from some of your friends or whatever. If we don't have that experience, this is all a moot point. Because we cannot love in the way that's right in the eyes of God if we have not experienced God's love in our lives. And every single one of us here could use to do one of two things. One is to accept Christ's love for the very first time or commit and ask God to, to pour more of his life, love into our lives than he ever has. And I'm asking you to make that commitment. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and asked his love to come into you for the very first time, to wipe away all the sins, all the things that would separate from you, God, take you away from God, and, and to experience that love that he's poured out on us through his son, Jesus Christ, that we might become the children of God. Make that step today. When we're singing, I'll be down front here. You can come and talk to me if you have questions or see me in the lobby or you can check it off on your connection card. There's a place on the back side and we'll follow up. But take the step to move into the kingdom of God and experience God's love. And every single one of us would say has a place in our lives if we're already children of God saying, this is where I'm not letting the love of God flow into my life. And you have a, we have the chance, the opportunity, the privilege of opening up those doors to God's love today. See what greater love that God has lavished on us that we might become and be the children of God. Let's pray together. God, let the commitments that we make here this morning be ones that are truly transforming, that they'll affect our lives tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday, and a month from Thursday, and a year from Friday, and a decade from Saturday, and for all eternity come Sunday. Transform us as we accept your love, as we free your love to work in us. We pray it in Jesus' name.